going to be starting a brand new sermon series that's called We Do Our Part and God Does His Part. I want you to remember back, I want you to think back into high school. wonder if this ever happened to you. Did, were you ever in a class where you had a teacher that assigned you into a group with five students and you were all supposed to do a project, right? And you know what happens? You've got, you've got one of the kids is supposed to do the introduction to the paper. One of the kids is going to write the conclusion. One of the students is going to write the body of the paper. Somebody is going to bring a visual aid, and somebody is going to do the oral presentation. It's broken up in five parts, right? Now, I don't know about you or your group, but I know in my group, there happened to be three or four people that were going to do all of the work, right? You know that there's somebody on that team, right? There, there was, there's three kinds of students, really. There's, there's a student on that team that wants to make sure that they don't lose their GPA. They want to make sure that they get good grades, so they are going to do the work. They're going to make sure that the work gets done. Then you have a student on that team who is just going to do it because he has to, but he's going to do his part. And then you've got this third kind of student who doesn't care and who does absolutely nothing. Have you ever had that person on your team? This kid already knows that the other kids on the team are going to do the entire project because he knows right away, I'm out, right? He's just on the team and he's going to take the grade. As a matter of fact, the four other students on the project, they're kind of upset that this guy was assigned to their team, right? They know, like, I know. It was in high school, it was in these projects where we, we all had this opportunity to learn our part and how to do our part. In order to accomplish the goal, we all had to work together, but the problem was is that sometimes there were people who weren't. But see, here's the thing, in order for us to accomplish the goal, we, we kind of need to know what the goal is. The goal itself can be different to each one of those five students on that team. They can all have their own different interpretations of what the goal is. You know who set the goal? It's actually the teacher that set the goal, right? Said this is what we're doing, is we have five people and all members of the team are going to work together to accomplish the task. So the goal is set, but the goal is set by the teacher, not by the students. It's really interesting when we, when we compare and we look at that moment in high school, and we can look at that and compare that to our spiritual walk with God. In, in your spiritual walk, listen to this, this is so important, in your spiritual walk, God always does his part. And he does his part with so much energy, with so much enthusiasm, with so much passion. I wonder if ever God is, is wondering, when are we going to start doing our part? I wonder if God is ever wondering if he is the one who is doing all of the work. I wonder if he's ever saying, ah, all right, we'll get an A plus on this one. You'll get the same grade I do. This morning we're going to focus on one specific area of your spiritual walk, and I promise you that everyone in this room is either struggling with it, has struggled with it, or wants to grow deeper in this area of our spiritual walk. It's actually, though, one of the easiest areas in our walk 
to determine what our part is, because God has already told us what our part is in the Old Testament. God told us for this project, out of 100% of the project, our goal, our responsibility, our part is 10%. For those of you who have been with us for a little while, you know that I preach on tithing twice a year, and very specifically at these times of the year, I preach the Sunday before Thanksgiving, because what's going to happen is we're going to start taking all of our finance and putting it into earthly treasures, and then after Christmas, we're going to fix a plate for God and give him our leftovers. I also preach on this the weekend before Memorial Day, because what's about to happen is a lot of people are going to go on vacation, a lot of people are going to kind of forget the church, and this, this has happened in the past, now we've got electronic giving, so it's easier to set up recurring giving, but a lot of times people would go on vacation. But over the summer, the church continues working. During the holiday season, the church continues working. During the hard times, the church continues working. Even during a worldwide pandemic, the church continues working. When the word tithe is used in the Old Testament, it's a word that literally means a tenth. We're to bring a tenth to God, a tenth of our harvest. Now, you and I, we don't harvest grain like the Israelites did. What we do is we trade our labor for finance, and then we use our finance to go and buy grain. So our harvest is our income. Let me tell you what God knows about your money already. God knows that you have bills. God knows that you have student loans. God knows that your summer electric bill is going to be higher because it's hot and you run your air conditioning all the time. God already knows that. But with all of that and with everything that we need money for, God took all of that into consideration when he gave us our part. When it comes to giving God his tithes and our offerings, God never came to us and said, I want you to individually take care of all the bills at the church. God never said that. What God said is out of the entire project, individually, I'm assigning you 10%. Not everything. Not everything at all. Let's look at being fair. Let's think about this. The project to fund the church, God tells us our individual part is 10%, which leaves God with what percentage? That leaves God with 90% out of the project. That doesn't sound fair at all. And it's not. What it is, it's grace. That's God saying, that's my part. You do your part, I'm going to do my part. Jesus talked about money more than he did anything else, more than he did heaven, more than he did hell. When you go around the nation and you even go around our city and you're going to find that there's so many different pastors that have different, different ideas about how to approach this subject. And there's some pastors that will um, maybe mention it here and there, maybe there's something in the bulletin. There's some pastors that won't mention it at all. I'm not one of them, as you can probably tell. It is part of our spiritual walk. Worship and our giving are part of our growth. There was something that I learned later in life. We were, we were invited over to our pastor's house for dinner at one point. This was years ago. 
and I was told on the way that we had to stop and get something. And I really didn't realize at the moment, what is this all about? And, and Kelly said, well, we have to stop and get something. So apparently there is an unwritten rule, or what I thought was an unwritten rule, that you don't show up to somebody else's house for dinner. You, you have to take flowers, right? Or you have to, 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 to take a gift. You don't show up empty-handed. I didn't know that. I know that now. When I learned this, I thought that it was an unwritten rule. But it's actually not an unwritten rule. It is a rule that was written, and it's been under our noses the whole entire time. Um, I can't put this up on the screen, but you'll see it in your bulletin, and there's scriptures in your bulletin, so I'll tell you. I'm going to take you to Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse number 16 and 17, and listen to what God is telling the Israelites and he's giving them directions on ceremonies that he wants them to partake in. He's talking to them about festivals. He says this, he says, three times a year, all of your males shall appear before the Lord your God at the place which he, God, chooses. At the Feast of Unleavened Bread, at the Feast of Weeks, and at the Feast of Booths. Watch this. And they are not to appear before the Lord empty-handed. Maybe in our Western culture, We've fallen away from that common etiquette that says when you go to visit somebody else's house, you don't go empty-handed. But I bet your grandparents knew that. I bet your parents knew that, right? I bet growing up, everyone knew that. It is so important that God put it in his financial rule book to us. As a common courtesy, as a show of respect, God's asking don't come empty-handed. But many of us, we show up to church on, on Sunday as we've been invited into God's home, but we don't bring a gift to the Lord. It happens often. On the back of your bulletin, there are uh, points this morning. There's some fill-in-the-blanks. I'm going to give you those. If you're watching at home, you can uh, just, Allie's going to put these in the chat room for you. You can keep up and just write these down. Here's the point, point number one in your notes this morning is this. God owns everything that you think you own. God owns everything that you think you own. Everything that you have has been given to you. Paul writes this to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 26. He says, for the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. David in Psalm 24, 1 writes this, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all the people belong to him. In Exodus 19, 5, Now if you will obey my covenant, you will be my special treasure among all the peoples on earth, for the entire earth belongs to me. This is God talking. Job 41, 11, Who has given me anything that I need to pay back? God says, Anything under heaven is mine. Haggai 2.8, the silver is mine, the gold is mine, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Let there be no argument about what belongs to God, because everything belongs to God, nothing belongs to us. It is all God's stuff. Many of you live in a house right now that you would say, well, this is, this is, this is my house. But I can probably tell you that 20 years ago, somebody else lived in that house, and they said, this is my house. And I can probably say with, with certainty that in 20 years from right now, somebody else is going to be living in that house, and they are going to say that this is my house. Who does it belong to? 
The house isn't yours. This house, it is all God's. You own nothing, including the money in your bank account, the money in your pocket, the money in your 401k, your retirement account, the money under your mattress. None of it belongs to you. None of it belongs to me. We like to say things like this. Oh, I work, I work hard for my money. When in reality, that's really, that's really not true. You, you didn't earn this money, but rather God has entrusted you to manage his money. Who else in your life, think about this, who else in your life would entrust you with all the money that you make, would say, I entrust you with that. God did. Let me ask, would, um, guys, would your wife trust you with all the money? You, so, so the person sitting right next to you might not even trust you with all the money, but God does. He trusts you because God refers to us he looks at us as stewards of everything that he owns. That's our job, is to be a manager of what God owns. God didn't give us the responsibility to manage his money for us to do with it whatever we please. No, God put us in a position of being in charge of managing his possessions to do with them whatever he pleases. That is our job, is to use God's possessions for God's glory. So, God gave you 100% of the money, and this is all his. He gave it to you to manage, and he only asks for you to give him back 10%. Isn't that interesting? That God puts you in charge of 100%, but he only asks for you to give him back 10%, and he gives us permission to keep the other 90%. Who else in your household, who else in your family would do that? Say, I'm going to give you all of this because I trust you with it. I only want you to give me back 10%. You keep the rest and go and do with it. Good stuff. Take care of yourself with that. That is a, that's an example of God's definition of fair. Because that's grace. I wonder if God trusts us a little too much sometimes. Point number two in your notes is this. Watch this. This is so important. Your giving back to God reflects your faith in God's ability to provide for you. Well, that's deep. Let's read that again because I think you've got three, three fill-ins on this one, at least two. Your giving back to God reflects your faith in God's ability to provide for you. Let's take a test right now. Ready for a test? Are you ready to measure your faith in God right now? You ready to, to measure how much trust you have in God right now? We're not gonna do a trust fall, promise. We're not gonna do that. No, but are you, are you ready to, to measure how much you trust God compared to how much you trust yourself? Let's take this test. Let's take a look in our minds at your online banking statement. How much did we give back to God of his own money, what he entrusted us with? How much did we give back to God? 
out of everything that you own, which is nothing, right? God has given you 100%, asked for you to give him back 10%, told you to live off of the rest of the money, but some of us still tell God, we tell God, you know what, God, I love you, but I don't trust you enough to be my financial manager. I don't trust you enough. We, we don't have enough faith that we can live off of the 90% because for some reason we think that we are better financial managers than God is. If you're over 40, you're going to recognize this. For those of you under 40, you're not going to recognize this. Just stay with me and laugh at a couple of moments, the jokes and this illustration, okay? So did, did you ever play this? It's called the Extend the Paycheck Over the Weekend Challenge. You ever play that? Yep, right over here. Okay, so this is what happens in this challenge. You get paid on Monday, but you need groceries on Friday. And so you go to the store on Friday and you write, you write a check. And I, and I know that that's foreign to some, of, to, to some of you, but you would write a check because you know that you can get your groceries, you can give them the check, and they're not going to take that check to the bank until Monday, right? And you can get your paycheck in the bank by Monday. So you just extend it over the weekend, right? You can't do that anymore. Uh -uh. Everything is instant and electronic. In reality, what you did is you just wrote a check that you can't cash. That's what happened. You know what? God has never done that. God has never been late on an electric bill because he didn't have enough money. God has never filed for bankruptcy. God has never had his driver's license suspended because he did not pay a speeding ticket. God has never owed money to the IRS because he miscalculated his taxes. God has never, ever accidentally double paid the car payment and then shorted himself $362 for the rest of the month because General Motors won't give him his money back. God has never, oh, he's never received a text message telling him that he's 12 days late on a cell phone bill. God's never done that. You know who's done every single one of those things? Me. I'm wondering if there's anyone else in this room who has ever had any of those things happen to you. But for some reason, we think we are better financial planners than God is. Why is that? For some reason, even with our terrible financial record, we trust ourselves with our 90% and with God's 10% more than we would trust God who, who wrote the financial manual for us and, and he's never had a financial difficulty at all in all of eternity, but we won't trust him. Why are we putting our financial track record up against God's financial track record and telling God that we could do it better? Look at all the stuff that we've had problems with. And we tell God, I can do it better. So Jesus was at church one day, true story. Jesus was at church one day and he was with his disciples at church and they were outside just kind of people watching. And at the church, they took the offering kind of like we do right now during COVID. There was, there's a box right here. They didn't pass the plate. And when you would come to the church, you would walk up to the box and you would just put your money into the box. And Jesus and his disciples are there and they're watching. I'm in Mark chapter 12, verse number 41. 
Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple and he watched the crowds dropping in their money. Many rich people put in large amounts. Then a poor widow came up and dropped in two small coins. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions for. They gave a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything that she had to live on. See, this lady didn't come to church that day to give God 10%. This lady came to church and gave God 100%. I wonder if we were to measure her trust in God, in God's provisions, if we were to measure that in her life right then, what do you think that her trust was at? That's like 100% trust, right? What percentage do you think her faith was at? That's 100% faith. She just gave it all away. She gave it all to God. I'll tell you, over, over my, my years, I've known a lot of pastors, and I've been to a lot of conferences, and I've talked to a lot of Christians and a lot of people about tithing, but I have never met a single person who has ever told me that they regret the fact that they gave God back his 10%. I've never heard somebody say that. But I have met people who say, that they, have, that they regret how much money they spent at Christmas time because they're still paying off the credit cards in July. I have met people who say, I shouldn't have spent that much on, a, on that vacation. I have met people who remember back into the 1990s and they spent $1,000 on a Beanie Baby and now regret it because they have a stuffed animal now that is worthless. We've got some people in this room who have some of those Beanie Babies if they ever come back into a, into a fad. But I don't know anyone who regrets giving God back his 10%. I've never met that person. Here's the third point in your notes this morning. Giving should be sacrificial and generous. Giving should be sacrificial and generous. You've heard me say this before that we're told to give God our first fruits, not our leftovers. The Israelites were told to bring a sacrifice to the temple that they were literally going to give God to give away something that meant something to them. And there was a point when God had to actually get on to the people. He had to, he had to start scolding them, you know why? Because he had to tell them, stop bringing me lambs with three legs. Stop bringing me animals that are scarred. You don't bring me your junk. You bring me, the, you bring me the stuff that, you bring me the first fruits, the best of what you have. People were bringing God their leftover stuff from their yard sale. That's not a sacrifice. That's just trying to get rid of stuff. That's giving to God stuff that you are comfortable living without. That's not sacrifice. Sacrifice will make you feel uncomfortable at first because you're going to give up something that means something to you. A true gift takes something away from us that we want and it gives it to somebody else because we love them. God's tithes and our offerings should also be generous. 
What good is it if we come to church on Sunday morning without preparing a gift for God? We walk into his church empty-handed, letting the gift to God be an afterthought. Does that ever happen? Giving, giving to God just what happens to be in our pocket that day. That's not generous. What that is is checking off a box. Saying, you know, okay, yeah, I, I, I gave something. Let me ask you this. When was the last time you went and you got in your car getting ready to go to church and, and you're getting ready to pull out of the driveway. You say, stop, 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 stop. I got to go back. I got to go back in the house. And you've got to go back in because you're like, oh, I've got to go get my gift to God. I got to go and make sure that I am prepared. What about this checklist? Before you pull out of the driveway, you look through the minivan, see if you got everything. Got my Bible? Check. Got my car keys? Check. Got my glasses? Because we need them? Check. Got all the kids? Check. Got the neighbor's kids? Check. I've got my gift for God? Check. Our giving to our Lord and Father should be a sacrifice, and also it is generous. I want you to see what Paul says to his letter to the church in Corinth. I'm in 2 Corinthians chapter, uh, chapter 8. Paul says this. He says, Now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. So what Paul is doing, he's writing a letter to the church in Corinth, and he's telling them about what other churches are doing. Because when Paul is traveling, he's collecting money for the Christians who are being persecuted in Jerusalem. Okay, So he says, they are being tested by many troubles, and they are very, very poor. But they are also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it from their own free will. They even begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. And they did even more than what we had hoped. For their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us, just as God wanted them to do. Let me tell you something. Once you start tithing, tithing is literally 10%. You can't have a 2% tithe. Tithe means 10th. Once you start tithing and giving God his 10%, you won't want to stop. Because once you start giving God his 10%, now you're going to realize what is God's and what is not. Let me give you some statistics from Americans in the realm of, and in the area of tithing. Only three to five percent of those inside the church actually tithe. Only 20 percent of all churchgoers actually give anything at all. And of that, 80 percent of those who give anything at all give about two percent of their overall income. But tithers, those who are following God's law, who, who, are, who, are, who are kind of following the rules and say, hey, you know what, this works. I'm going to give God back his 10%. Tithers are 40% less likely to owe significant debt. They're also willing to give, on average, between 11 and 20% of their income. And here's the final one, and this is kind of sad. Younger Americans rarely or never give. The younger you are, the more rare it becomes that there's a gift to God. 
See, consistent giving, it fosters a deeper understanding of stewardship, of managing. The more we give God and the more consistently we give to God, we learn how to manage this better and how to become better Christians and and better to manage our internal resources. And, And to ultimately... You're going to use what you learn from tithing, and that's going to trickle down to the other areas of your finance in your home. Being consistent with the tithe is going to help. It helps you manage the other areas of your finance. See, when Christians decide to become serious about tithing and giving God his money, they're often going to find that they become more responsible with 90% than they used to be with 100%. It's kind of amazing how that works. God actually gave the Israelites instructions on giving the tithe and just as, as we implement these into our financial life, I promise you, you're going to be amazed at how you, you'll, it'll become important. You won't want to miss a tithe because that's, that's God's. This is from Leviticus chapter 20, verse number 10, 23 rather, verse, chapter 23, verse 10, it says this. Give the following instructions to the people of Israel. When you enter the land I am giving you, harvest your first crops and bring the, bring the priest a bundle of grain from the first cutting of your grain harvest. The Israelites were an agricultural group of people who moved into the land. And the harvest is the time when the farmers put all of their hard work. They're now actually literally reaping what they had sown. They're, they're, they're getting paid now. But God told his people, I want you to bring me your first yield. I want you to bring me your first fruits out of the field. That's the first thing that you harvest and bring that. This was to demonstrate two things. One is obedience and two is reverence to God. And what it did, it was showing them that God will provide for your family. Because what happens as soon as you you harvest that first 10% and you go and give it to God, you only have 90% left. What a lot of us like to do is we say, I'm going to hold on to God's money till the end of the month, and then if I have anything left, then I'll give God the leftovers. Well, that's not faith. God says, give us the first fruits. He says, give me the first fruits. Imagine that all of your crops are ready. You're going to cut the first 10%. Go and give those to God. Now, he says you can live off the other 90%. He says you can do that, and that's fine. But you know why you trust God now? Well, you trust him because that 10% is gone. And because the 90% is all that you had. And you let God's 10% be the first cut from your yield, from your paycheck, Now you can see your faith. Now you can see your trust. You will never learn to trust God in his promise that you can live off of 90% until you start giving him his 10%. We can read it. We could read the promise. But we won't know that it truly is a promise that God will do his part until we do our part. How can God show us his part until we do our part? Here's the fourth point in your notes this morning. Giving 
is an act of worship. Now, there's not many people who stand up and clap their hands when the offering plate goes by. There's really not. Um, we use a box. A few minutes ago, there was people coming up to the box. I, I there wasn't a lot of people who were coming up clapping, but that's the way that God wants you to look at it. And you're giving as worship. He wants, you to, he wants to see that as the same thing. If giving is a way of worship, then it's more than just a checkbox. It's actually making sure that our hearts are in the right place when we give back to God. We can put money in there and just check it off the box. But if it's worship, our hearts are in the right place. In Genesis chapter 4, there are two brothers, first two brothers in all creation. There's an episode about giving back to God. And we notice a difference between giving to God because we're told to and giving to God because we want to. Genesis chapter 4, verse number 3. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best portion of the very firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel's and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. And this made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. Did you see what Abel just did? You see what he just brought to the Lord? He brought the best portions of the firstborn from his flock. Everything that Abel brought was significant to him. Everything was important to him. It was an actual sacrifice. How much do you trust God today? Today I want you to trust that God could do more with 90% than you could do with 100%. I want to say that again. Today, I want you to trust that God can do more with 90% than you can do with 100%. You know why you're not trusting God right now with this 10%? It's because you have bills. It's because you have a need for food. It's because you want to make sure that the necessities are taken care of before you do anything extravagant like literally give money away. You know why you're not trusting God with his 10% right now? It's because you're worried. You're worried that you can't make it on 90%. You're worried that there's going to be an unexpected emergency that you're going to need that money for. You're worried that there's going to be more month than there is money. But this is amazing, the way that God works. He already knows why you don't give him his 10%. He knows that. He knows you are worried. And he was thinking so far ahead that he actually talked about this. He addressed your concern in the same book a few pages later. Matthew recorded the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Jesus says this, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food to drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Jesus says, look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you far more valuable than they are? When you came to church this morning, 
you were given a baggie that had two puzzle pieces in that. I want you to take those out. You have that? Take those out. I want you to hold them up in front of you. We're gonna take a quick look at those. I actually want you to take these home with you and I want you to put them somewhere where you're going to see them tonight, somewhere where you're going to see them tomorrow. Maybe put them next to the bathroom sink, put them next to your toothbrush. Here's what I want you to understand from the sermon series. We do our part and God does his part. You see how those pieces fit together? I promise you, your two pieces fit together. These are two pieces of a puzzle. One of them represents your part. The other one represents God's part. But I want you to realize something. The puzzle is not finished. You don't have the rest of the parts. You yourself cannot finish this puzzle. But you know what? God can. God can. There are other pieces that you can't even see that are part of this puzzle, and God can. Those are his parts. That's his part. We do our part. God gave us a part. Everything else is God's part. You've got part of your puzzle in your hand. You've got what represents God's part in your hand. And everything that you can't see, that's God's part. In order to do ours, we need to recognize what our part is, what we're supposed to do, what God's part is, and let God do his work. Sometimes we get in, we tell God, I'm gonna do your work for you. Why do we do that? Why are we trusting ourselves to be our own financial planners? Why do we not trust God when he has proven more trustworthy than we are? We truly want to see God do his part. We have to expect that God truly wants to see us do our part. But I wonder if sometimes we're like that kid in high school who expects all of the other students to do all of the work for the team. I wonder if maybe we're expecting to get an A plus in financial management because God is on our team and we just expect him to do our part but maybe God is waiting for us to do our part of the assignment. Today, if the Lord has put on your heart to start a tithing plan, I want you to know that you can put your trust in him. I want you to know that I can help you with that, we can help you with that. I want you to know that you can show him your trust. You don't have to worry. God's taking care of it. You're more important than the birds. I'm so thankful that God has a plan and he has a part that is so much bigger than our part. And he has all the parts that we can't see. And he's out solving problems that we don't even know that we have so that he could give us blessings that we don't deserve. That's God's part. We do our part, I promise you God does his part. Be fair to say that God does his part even when we don't do our part? Yeah, God's gonna keep doing his part. 
but the relationship gets a lot closer when we're working together with God. Amen.